Welcome to the AEM Education and Training Podcast, a collaboration between Brown University Emergency Medicine and the editors of the Academic Emergency Medicine Education and Training Journal. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and here's what we've got for you today. So here's a question. Can you teach well-being? Well, you can teach about wellness or resilience, but does that teaching translate into real-life changes for the learners? The ACGME Common Program Requirements state that programs and sponsoring institutions have the same responsibility to address well-being as they do other aspects of resident competence. So today we're talking with Dr. Kelly Williamson about her team's recent paper in AEM Education and Training entitled, The Implementation of a National Multifaceted Emergency Medicine Resident Wellness Curriculum is Not Associated with Changes in Burnout. I guess the title itself is a little bit of a spoiler here, but Dr. Williamson is here to talk about this important topic and the details of this paper. Dr. Williamson is a clinical associate professor of emergency medicine at the University of Illinois at Chicago and assistant residency program director at Advocate Christ Medical Center in Illinois. She's going to be interviewed today by Dr. Jessica Fujimoto, an emergency medicine education fellow at UCSF Fresno. Don't forget to read the full text of this paper available on our blog at brownemblog.com. Hi, Dr. Williamson. I'm so excited to have you here today to talk about your recent AEM ENT publication. Congratulations. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to get to talk to you today. So first off, I thought maybe we could start by having you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in wellness and burnout research. Sure, absolutely. So I'm one of the assistant program directors at Advocate Christ Medical Center. And I'm also one of the founding members of AMERA, which is the Emergency Medicine Education Research Alliance. And we started doing multi-center education research in 2013. Um, and it definitely became kind of my biggest area of interest at that time. And I would say 2016 was really an eye-opening year for our specialty. And I was with Elise Lovell, who's our program director and one of my co-authors on this paper. And we were actually at Cord Academic Assembly in Nashville um, in spring of 2016. And we were discussing there had recently been a couple of medical student suicides in New York, as well as the suicide of an emergency medicine resident in Kentucky, and the recent death um, within our Chicago community uh, of a resident. And we were talking about wellness and kind of what we could do to become involved in the topic, the idea for this curriculum really kind of came out of that discussion. And from there, we reached out to Amera and got 10 sites that were willing to work with us, uh, five sites to implement the curriculum and five sites that would serve as our controls so that we could actually truly study the effects of the curriculum. That's That makes sense for how that came about. And it's really sad, all the things that have started to happen with uh, trainees based on sort of the current events with resident burnout and wellness, it's really great that the ACGME Common Program Requirements have started um, talking about wellness and the need for that in residency curriculum. Absolutely. I think that was a huge turning point in 2017 when the ACGME really said that programs have the same responsibility to train their residents in these areas of wellness and kind of sustainability that, that they do for the other aspects of training. It just kind of speaks to the 
speaks to the involvement and the dedication now on a much bigger level. Given that this is all fairly recent, do we know much um, from the literature about best practices for a wellness curriculum in GME? So I think we've gotten a lot better understanding over the past couple of years. When Elise and I were first developing this curriculum, we did a PubMed search and we did a Google search using the terms physician wellness and burnout. And a lot of what we found at that time was single institution really relied on just kind of people's perceptions about kind of how they felt after these different interventions. Um, There was much less evidence-based research at at that time in, in 2016. I think that we've come a long way in a couple of years, and there are definitely some themes that have become available. Um, So, and I think really the most important is that curricular success and the success of these interventions is significantly tied to culture change. So you really need buy-in at a system, a program, and a personal level in order for these interventions to be successful. And I think in relation to the personal and program interventions, what they really need to do is resonate with your residents, and they need to align with their values and their priorities. I think in some ways there's been a little bit of wellness fatigue because there's been so much saturation of the topic in a short period of time in both the literature and the podcast and the residents need to know that anything that you're implementing is, it's not just a checkbox, it's not just fulfilling an ACG and your requirement, but it's really a meaningful effort to help. Um, and it's important to conduct ongoing needs assessments of your residents because things are going to change. It's really a fluid situation and what might be needed at one time may not be the same as what would be valued at a different time. And then it's also really important to know your institution and it's to have culture change ideally supported through the hospital, through the hospital. I think it's become increasingly recognized over the past year to two years that systems effects on wellness are really paramount, that it's not an individual's responsibility to kind of fix their own burnout while there are things that they can do to help themselves Residents really understand the environment as a driver, and if they're working in a dysfunctional department or they don't feel supported by those above them, they'll kind of resent attempts that are limited to their own individual uh, individual wellness. And I think kind of the other thing that's really important is just to understand that wellness means different things for different people. So when you're devising a curriculum, you want to make sure that there are plenty of offerings and that people can kind of pick and choose what resonates with them. Um, And that also that we respect residents' demands on their time. So the last thing that we want to do is add add to their burden in something that's actually supposed to be helpful. When we surveyed our curriculum after the year-long introduction, we kind of asked all the residents who participated what they deemed to be kind of the most valuable and the least valuable aspect. And kind of not surprisingly, the most valued aspects were those that kind of had a social theme to them. So the residents really appreciated having a retreat, having dedicated time off for resident bonding, having class nights off. Uh, They did not value nearly as much III or assigned readings about wellness. Um, (laughs) had, uh, In my mind, you know, when Elise and I were devising this, we thought that they were fantastic and we couldn't get enough of this information. (laughs) Kind of a miss between what we were really excited about and what really resonated with the residents, but but it turned out to be a valuable learning experience as well. <laughs> 
Yeah, so you you started to touch on it a little bit. You talked about the different components of the curriculum that you instituted, that you studied. So you mentioned the III. Can you give some examples of that and then some examples of like a non-didactic element and then some internet-based resources? Yes. So I think the easiest thing to do, and we can do this uh, through a couple of different domains if we want, but we basically based our curriculum around Dr. Hetler's six dimensions of wellness. So that was social, spiritual, occupational, physical, emotional, and intellectual. So within that framework, within each of those domains, we had a didactic presentation that was created by one of the study investigators and then shared across all sites so that there was continuity of education delivery. Um, And then there was the corresponding III that was completed in the month before each individual topic. So again, for an example, for, uh, for social wellness, the III that preceded the social wellness lecture was to watch uh, the video Bite Size Resilience, Three Good Things, and then enroll in a, at that point, 2017 cohort study through the Duke Patient Safety Center. At that point, they were studying the theory that if you kind of write three good things before you go to bed, it's basically a gratitude journal, and it starts to change the way that you look at the things are happening in your life. And they would then receive two weeks of email prompts at a time that they would set to do these three good things that happened during their day. And um, we kind of reflected on that then within the social wellness lecture. So again, for social wellness, then some non-didactic curricular elements um, were the creation of resident and attending wellness champions at each of the site, scheduling class days off for each PGY year resident once every six months, so that people could get together with their classmates. And then the creation of wellness families, which were groups of residents paired with attendings and at some sites also paired with some nurses and support staff to help improve our interdisciplinary relationships. And then the additional resources were some readings at that time that focused around resilience. Um, So an example would be 10 ways to build resilience from the American Psychological Association, as well as a paper uh, insights on residency training, what is resilience, that was published in the New England Journal, Journal Watch in 2016. And then we did that for each of the different domains. Um, and we actually published, published the wellness curriculum in AEM education and training in 2017 about the development of our curriculum and all the different components. Those sound neat. It's funny, I keep hearing you say III, and it sounds like a cry for help, which like... <laughs> with this topic is kind of appropriate. And then I have to remind myself, it stands for Individualized Interactive Instruction Assignments. Yeah, absolutely. Those sound neat. I'm surprised the residents didn't like that. It's kind of neat. Yeah, yeah, like I said, I think it it was a very interesting learning experience for us because... I mean, we really did our best, again, drawing from from what was out there to make sure that we were pulling kind of only the highest yield things into our curriculum. So, but again, I think when you're already working so much, anything that that's deemed as extra work just gets framed a little differently in your mind. That makes a lot of sense. So your curriculum sounds like a really neat way to, to get um, residents more exposure to wellness and concepts about it um, and to, to put them into practice too with the IIIs. 
And another part that was interesting about the study, in addition to creating the curriculum, was that you created a new survey to look at how the curriculum impacted burnout. And so I was wondering if you could talk about the different wellness instruments that you included. Sure. So our primary instrument was the Maslow Burnout Inventory which is the 22-question instrument that's kind of considered the gold standard of education burnout research. And it evaluates burnout along the domains of emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and personal accomplishment. But in addition to that, recognizing some of its limitations, we wanted to include a few other instruments as well. And the majority of these were actually previously published by Dr. Tate Shanafelt, who's really a leader in this field. So we used a single item linear analog scale assessment that assessed quality of life. And that used the question, how would you rate your overall quality of life during the past week? And that score was just treated as a continuous variable on a zero to 100 scale. And then career satisfaction was assessed with the question, if given the opportunity to revisit your career choice, would you choose to become a physician again? And responses of likely and very likely were categorized as positive for career satisfaction. And then we assess work-life balance with the question, does my work schedule leave me enough time for my personal and family life? And responses of strongly agree and agree were categorized as positive for work-life balance. And then finally, we assess depression using the primary care evaluation of mental disorders, patient health questionnaire, two-question screen, which is also known as the PrimeMD PHQ2. And that asks the question, during the past month, have you often been bothered by feeling down, depressed, or hopeless? And during the past month, have you often been bothered by little interest or pleasure in doing things? And a yes response to either question is considered a positive screen for depression. So from there, we ended up with a survey instrument that also included some demographic information, but was still designed for completion in less than 15 minutes. And so how did your study use uh, this survey to look at how implementation of your wellness curriculum affected resident burnout? Yeah, so we administered the survey initially in February of 2017, and that was before we undertook any intervention. Um, And we did that at all sites, so the intervention and control sites. And then we introduced the curriculum starting March 1st of 2017. And then we re-administered the survey tool in August of 2017. So that was kind of the halfway point of the curriculum, as well as February in 20, February of 2018, which was the end point of the curriculum. And then from there, assessed our results from the different survey administrations to determine whether the curriculum was having an, an impact on burnout. And so what differences did you find between the control and intervention groups when you were looking at the data? Unfortunately, not as many as we would have liked. Uh, <laughs> so we assessed, uh, again, mainly using the, the Maslach burnout inventory. We looked at the data kind of both in a continuous and a dichotomous fashion. So the first thing we, we did was actually um, assess the individual component scores. So with that February 2017 data, we were mainly just making sure that our groups were matched from the start, at least to the best that we could, because the sites self-selected to be controller intervention groups, basically based on their availability of resources and their ability to introduce the year-long wellness curriculum and what came with that. Um, and we found that the groups were uh, pretty well matched. So when we looked at burnout as a continuous variable, 
the only significant difference in MBI scores between the two groups at baseline was a slightly higher mean depersonalization score at the intervention sites. When we did the second data collection, so that August of 2017, the only significant difference between the sites was a higher mean personal accomplishment score at the control sites. And at the conclusion of the study, so February 2018, we went back to the initial findings that the only significant difference was a higher mean depersonalization in the intervention sites. Um, and then we also looked at burnout as a dichotomous variable, so whether you have it or you don't. And we used Dr. Maslach's definition for that, and that was having an emotional exhaustion score greater than 26 and a depersonalization score greater than 12. And at all of the study administrations, there was no difference in burnout between the intervention and control groups at any of the survey administrations. It's interesting to me that when you look at the the continuous data, that the the residency programs that selected as not having the resources to institute a wellness curriculum were sort of more well when you look at the data. Yeah, and so there are a couple of reasons that 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 could have been. One could have been that they just had a little more that they were either aware of it or they had a culture that kind of supported wellness to begin with. Um, so again, the the idea was that they, for the most part, with the feedback that we got, was that they were self-selecting just because they didn't have the resources to commit to the full curriculum at the time. But that may have been partially because they already felt that they had a robust uh, wellness curriculum or uh, wellness culture in place. So that's, that's absolutely possible. That makes sense. And then why, why did your group think that the study didn't find a difference looking at the dichotomous data between the two groups? I think there are a couple of reasons. Interestingly, and in some ways very reassuringly, the burnout prevalence in our study was actually lower, uh, significantly lower than what's previously been reported in our specialty. So we found a global burnout percentage that ranged from 17 to 27% across the three survey administrations, rather than the 50 to 60% that's a little more commonly cited. So that could, this lower level could have made it a little more challenging to detect some smaller changes in burnout that could have been attributed to the curriculum. And I think also timing matters. We really introduced our curriculum at a time that physician well-being was gaining increasing attention on the national scale. So as we discussed, our five control sites agreed not to introduce any new wellness initiatives during the study period. But these residents certainly could have been exposed to initiatives on the institution level and certainly certainly on the national level in the form of both literature and podcasts that could could have diluted our statistical significance. And then I think we also have to recognize as valuable as the MBI is, um, its measurement tools still do have some limitations. And we received a lot of positive feedback from the residents at the end of the curriculum when we surveyed them on what they thought the value added from the curriculum was. And the site leaders really identified an increased global awareness of resident wellness issues and a positive culture change at their institutions. So it's possible that some of our quantitative data just didn't capture the positive curricular effects as measured by the MBI. And kind of the last thing that we considered is, again, our curriculum was really aimed at the individual and the program level. And over the past couple of years, we've just become increasingly aware of the essential need for corresponding change at the systems level as well. So I think that those are some of the some of the reasons that we maybe didn't see the change that we were expecting. 
or hoping for, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> it's still really neat to see um, sort of a, a formalized wellness curriculum laid out with all these different components, not just lectures. And really enjoyed putting it together in that way and really having it be multifaceted. As I mentioned, we, ne- we now know how important it is to have diverse offerings so that different offerings resonate with different individuals. And I think we didn't even necessarily realize at the time that that's what we were trying trying to do was provide a bunch of different things that, that people would find of value, even though I can't say that was necessarily an explicit goal as we were first developing this. Yeah. So one last thing I want to emphasize is that your study was the first EM multi-center educational intervention trial to assess the impact of a wellness curriculum on EM resident burnout, which is such a neat thing to be able to say. And so I'm really, really grateful that you were able to come on and talk to us about this. Um, And so I have one last big question for you. What do you think are the next steps in the development of a wellness curriculum for um, EM residents? I think we're really still kind of defining that. And I think that there are some hopefully great studies that'll come out in the next year or two Again, in terms of overarching themes, which we already mentioned, really the importance of combining individual with system and organization strategies just can't be kind of overemphasized. I think that that's one of the most kind of important things that that we're seeing moving forward. Um, again, it's also important when people are developing their wellness curriculums uh, that they recognize that these interventions are best received if they're kind of personalized and encouraged, but still voluntary and thereby respecting the already high time burden on the residents. And we also have to recognize that there is some opportunity cost of introducing new curricular elements um, and kind of we have a limited time for whether it be didactics or what we want to ask the residents to do outside of their already mandated time. And just really knowing what's going on at your program and your institution at the time that you're trying to introduce these uh, curricula to make sure that that it is an appropriate time. Um, And then engaging the residents in the development and the implementation of the initiatives is essential. And I think we're really at a time where research is incredibly important. Uh, Again, there have been a lot of kind of single site studies, small volume studies um, that have started to demonstrate some positive effects. But what we really need is more longitudinal study of these interventions with resident physicians. Um, And this really provides also an opportunity for collaboration among specialties as well as practice environments or residencies in different areas of the the country. Um, And I think there's also some opportunity to learn from kind of wellness pioneers in other industries to see what other people are working on and how it might kind of appropriately translate to us. And I think Kind of, and one other area where kind of future research is really developing now is is what are the best tools for burnout measurement, and we've kind of established over the past couple of years that wellness is a pretty complicated construct, and it's not just the absence of burnout. And I think Michelle Lal and the Cord Resilience Committee have done a fantastic job highlighting some other available assessment tools, and um, future research can really continue to focus on this area so that we know that we're measuring what we really want to be looking at. That all sounds really exciting. It sounds like an area that has a lot of growth and potential coming up. Absolutely. I think, you know, as much as we've been talking about wellness over the past couple of years, I really believe that we're right at the surface of 
kind of what we need to do, especially in terms of studying our interventions. And I think our body of knowledge is just going to continue to go grow drastically over the next couple of years. And I think that makes it really exciting. And I think the most exciting is that this is a focus and that it's recognized as, as a need and we can change our culture accordingly. Well, Dr. Williamson, it was it was really lovely to talk to someone who's so knowledgeable, but also very passionate about this topic. Um, and I could tell that based on the way you talk about your guiding principles for designing the curriculum, that this is something that's very important to you. So thank you for coming here to talk with us about this. Thank you so much. This is a project that I've been so incredibly excited to be involved in from kind of from its start through the publication. And now I, I look forward to our next steps as well. Thanks for listening to this AEM Education and Training Podcast. Be sure to read the full text of this article, available on our blog at brownemblog.com. Subscribe to all our AEM podcasts on Apple Podcasts. Search for AEM Early Access, all one word. Today's music is by Scott Holmes. I'm Dr. Gita Pensa, and we'll see you next time.